You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. Uh, Last week, uh, you guys opened up the truth of God's Word. You looked at chapter 4 of the Gospel of Mark from verses 1 to 20, and you examined examined the parable of the sower, or even better, the parable of the soils, right? We see that Jesus, he was teaching in a parable about a farmer sowing his seed. And this farmer had hope of an abundant harvest, A harvest that can only happen when he sows the seed, right? And then the seed is needing to land on rich soil, right? Fertile soil, soil that has been tilled, soil that has been softened, soil that is deep, that is free of weeds, soil that is ready and prepared to receive the seed. Now, this is common sense, right? I'm not a farmer, but I understand that concept, Uh, But more than a lesson in good farming, what Jesus was teaching his disciples and those that were hearing was that as it goes with farming, so it goes with the gospel. Friends, the word of God, the word of God, the good news, the kingdom of God is only effective, is that me crackling? Is only effective when when the seed lands on the fertile soil of a well-tilled heart, something that has been divinely prepared by God, right? That good, deep, rich soil, no longer hardened by unrepentant sin. Heart soil that is not shallow and it's not crowded out by the temptations of the world. Friends, the parable of, of the soils is ultimately pointing us to the gospel, to the eternal truth that the exceedingly abundant gospel harvest of 30, 60, 100-fold that all of us want to see, the responsibility of that seed to germinate lands in the hands of the Father by His sovereign grace to do what only He can do. Only God can remove the heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, right? Right? And so this parable teaches us about that. And then we're left inside of that our own responsibility. As hearers of God's word, we are called to do what? To sow the seed. Sow the seed. To sow it broadly. To sow it widely. To share the gospel of the kingdom wherever we go. Wherever and whenever. And praying that it will land on good soil, good spirit-prepared hearts where the lost will finally hear it and accept it, and that they will bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold, all to the glory of God. That's why we exist as a church. We exist as a church for what? We exist to glorify God, right? Through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, To see the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, the matured multiplied, all to the glory of God. That's our mission statement here. And so as we look at the parable of soils, we see this is consistent. And that we need to be sowing that seed as far and as wide as we can and trusting God to prepare the heart to receive it. So we're going to turn back now to to verses 21 to 34. 
we're going to witness here that Jesus doesn't let up. He keeps on hammering this point home. In fact, we're going to see four more parables, which he'll ultimately reveal to us four key evidences that mark those who truly hear the word of God. Those who want to obey. We're going to see four key characteristics of a true seed-sowing disciple. And so let's turn to the text in chapter 4, verses 21 to 34. And this is Jesus speaking again. We believe he is still in Galilee speaking to the crowd, and yet there is the smaller group of his true disciples, the true hearers of God with him. And he says to them, he said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to the light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure that you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Verse 26, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. Lord, we need your help again. We always come here weak and needy, hands open, full of your spirit. We need you to speak to us through your word today. We need you to teach us again. Show us the gospel. Show us the light of the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. Motivate us by your grace yet again to go out of this place changed and to go out with the intent of changing the world by the power of your gospel. Lord, we need your spirit with us this morning, your Holy Spirit that moved upon men to write your word of God. So the word with the spirit and being covered in Christ's righteousness, we have everything. And so we come to you full of the riches of what you have given us. Teach us today. Be with us. Move me aside Speak to your people, we ask in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. So four parables, four evidences, and four applications for us as we want to be true seed-sowing disciples, right? Faithful hearers of the gospel. And so the first point of application is going to be this. Don't be a gospel hoarder. A faithful hearer shines urgently. Verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket, or under a bed, and not on a stand? 
For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Are you a faithful hearer? Again, we see Jesus here teaching the crowd. And we see him speaking in a parable again. A parable to reveal and also to conceal. And what we're after here this morning is what he is revealing, right? What is he revealing to his people? And so we see him starting with this first metaphor of a lamp. He says, is the lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Now, when you think of a lamp, I don't want you to to think uh, of the lamp that you would think about, like a lamp uh, fueled by electricity, batteries. Don't think of a flashlight or a smartphone with a little a flashlight app, right? None of that existed back then. What we're talking about is, a, is an ancient oil lamp. And back then, an oil lamp was so crucial to everyday life. You didn't have a light switch to go flick on. You had a lamp. It's extremely important. It was an extremely important household tool. The lamp would have been a, a very little kind of a dish-like kind of a bowl, and it would have a, a small lip on one side, and you would lay the wick in there, and you would fill it in, with oil, and you would light it. And that, the single flame would give off enough light when the sun goes down, and, and, and most of their homes were either single or, or two-room homes, uh, it would be enough to light up the room so that you could see. And so we see Jesus using that here, and he's asking a rhetorical question about this crucial device. He says, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? Just think about that. Would you, would you light a candle and put it under a bread bowl? Would you go take it and put it under your bed? Would you hide it? Or are you going to put it on a stand? When I was a kid, we had a cabin in the mountains. The cabin didn't have any, any, uh, any power. The running water was the river beside us. And so nighttime, we would have to use a gas lantern if we wanted to see anything. And so every night as the sun would, would go down as a, as a kid, my dad would, would, would light that lantern. And after he would light it, he didn't open our cooler and put it inside the cooler. He didn't put it under a sleeping bag in the corner. Right in the center of the cabin, we had a hook up high on the center beam, and we would hang it there so that it could light every corner of the cabin. That's what you do with a lantern. You maximize its light in the space. And this is what's going on in this parable. Jesus is teaching us to hide the only source of light in the darkness would be absolutely ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. And so Jesus wants his disciples and he wants us to know that the good news of the kingdom of God is like a lantern in a dark place. It's the only source of light. This world is evil, it is dark, it needs the light of Jesus Christ. And so it must not be hidden. Friends, Scripture is is full of this too. If you look throughout the Bible, you see a lot of uses of lantern and light, talking about God and his word. Uh, 2 Samuel 22, 29, when David was recalling being saved from the hands of Saul, he says, for you are my lamp, 
O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness. Psalm 119, 105, the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And ultimately, as you study the Bible and you see the fulfillment of Jesus Christ, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. He is the light. The gospel is the lamp in a dark world. And so these disciples, those who are hearing and believing in him, they now have this light of life with them. And Christ's plan very soon is to go, to go away. He says, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to life. Jesus is teaching in these parables, and only some of them are hearing the truth, right? And his greater plan, his greater plan is to reveal his truth, reveal his light through the mouths of his disciples. That's why he says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. It's only his true disciples that have ears to hear the truth of the gospel. And friends, that time has come. And soon we're going to see in the scriptures that Jesus is going to send out his disciples. They are going to be his mouthpiece. And then even more clearly later, we see after Jesus ascends to the heavens, he has his apostles, right? And his aim is to shine the light of the gospel through them. And we are living in the New Testament age. We are the disciples of God, and he's using us to shine the light of the gospel into a dark world. We have such privilege as we have God's word. We have the message of God so crystal clear. It is no longer concealed. It is revealed. And without the light in this world, the lost have no hope. The lost are blinded, right? They're still bound in the domain of darkness. They cannot see. They don't know where they're going. They don't know the dangers of their own sin. They don't know that they're on a pathway to hell. That they desperately need to receive the light of Jesus Christ. And we're the ones that hold that light. We're the ones that have it to share. So the first question for us is, are we shining that light? Are we shining that light? Like the song we used to sing in Sunday school. What was that song, right? This little light of mine, you finish it. I'm going to let it shine. Are you shining your light in the darkness? Are you shining your light to your family, to your friends, to your coworkers, to your neighbors? to your online interactions, to your gamer buddies, to your customers, to your clients. And what's so incredibly sad is that more often than not, more often than not, the church at large in Western culture is not shining the light. What we find instead is that we're consuming. We're hoarding our faith. We're keeping the greatest news that could ever be heard to ourselves. We're being selfish with our salvation. The good news is great for me, but it's not great enough to be given away. 
recent Barna study just out in the last couple of weeks reveals that uh, nearly half of Christian millennials believe that it's actually wrong to evangelize. The study shows that 47% of millennials agreed with this statement. It's wrong to share one's personal beliefs with someone of a different faith in hopes that they will one day share the same faith. And this is compared to the previous generation, the Gen Xers, where 27% would agree with that, and then 20% of the previous generations. J.D. Greer, he's the, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention right now, said this in his, in his book. Um, he said only 20% of U.S. churches, and we can apply that here, and in most cases it's, it's worse here, only 20% of U.S. churches are growing. Only 1% of, are growing by reaching lost people. Only 1% are growing by conversion. So 95% of the church growth we celebrate merely shuffles existing Christians around. So what in the world is going on here? Things aren't looking so good. Where's the urgency? Has something changed since Jesus gave us the Great Commission? Has the gospel lost its greatness? Have we grown soft? Do we really believe that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life? Is your Muslim friend okay to die never hearing about Jesus? Is your New Age family member okay to take their last breath not hearing about Jesus? Is your Mormon aunt going to go to the same place as you? How about your Catholic neighbors? How about the Scientologists, the atheists, the Hindus, and on and on and on? Are they okay apart from hearing about the light of Jesus Christ? No, they're not. Brothers and sisters, it's time to get off our hands. It's time to truly love the world by sharing the most amazing news that they could ever hear. The lamp is Christ. Good vanquishes the darkness and produces life to life to life. Do you have ears to hear this this morning? Now, you may be saying, I get it, Pastor. You, you, you teach us this all the time. I hear it all the time, but I just don't know how to do it. I don't feel prepared. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And what I have to say to you is this. I, I, I feel that tension as well. What am I going to say? What am I going to share? I want to say the right thing so that this person will understand and my counsel to you is from verse 14 last week. Mark 4, 14. The sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. No matter what your skill or your method, sow the word of God. Share the word of God. Share the biblical truth of what Christ has done for you. Share how ye, he saved you from eternal damnation because of God's holiness and because of your sin. Share with, share with the world the overwhelming grace and love of God. How Jesus became sin, who knew no sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. So the word. 
commit to knowing the word more and more, not just for yourselves, not just for your own consumption, but for, for the world. The word is powerful. Share it. Sometimes I think we overcomplicate it. The gospel is simple enough that even a child can understand it. Don't overcomplicate it. Trust that God's word is powerful, but don't make it harder than it needs to be. Yes, grow and learn how to share, but don't overcomplicate it. We're going to be having some training very shortly on how to share the gospel, and we want to invite you to that. That's good. Be, be watching for that. We're going to be offering that to you, but don't let that keep you from sharing the gospel today and tomorrow and this week. You have enough. You have God's word. Share it. Carl Henry said this, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. We need to renew that urgency. The urgency is real. Brothers and sisters, the world is dying in their sin and they need to hear from you. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. So my call to you this morning is don't be a gospel hoarder. Don't hoard it to yourself. Lift the lantern of Christ to the nations. A faithful hearer shines urgently. And along with that call to action, Jesus is going to continue to drive this point home in the next verses. And we're going to learn next that a faithful hearer also labors earnestly. A faithful hearer labors earnestly. We're not to be gospel spectators. If anyone has ears this morning, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. So that means don't just, don't just hear it. Don't take it in one ear and out the other. It means pay close attention to it. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Don't be a gospel spectator. A faithful hearer labors earnestly. So with this call of faithful hearers to proclaim the light of the gospel, what we see here is that along with the proclamation comes a lot of work. A lot of work. A lot of dedication. A lot of labor. But also in that we know that there's much reward. Much eternal reward. So friends, Jesus isn't looking for an audience. He's looking for an army. Don't be a spectator. If the disciples, those who are the true hearers, are truly paying attention to what they're hearing here, then responding in earnest action isn't even a question. If they hear it rightly, it compels them all the more. It draws their hearts not only to listen, but to do, right? And even more than that, the more careful you pay attention to what you hear by the word of God, the more that you are equipped to serve the Lord and the more eternal reward you will receive. He says, with the measure, the measure is in the context, looking back at the sowing of the seed, how much seed you're going to sow, it will be measured to you. 
and still more will be added to you. Verse 25, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Friends, the, the more knowledge that you share, the more light that you shine, the more seed that you sow, the more will be added to you. The more that you put in, the, greatest the, har- the greater the harvest will be, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. Now, I grew up in a construction family, and I remember an aspect of construction that I really did not like was, was the packing of lumber from one area to the next. I remember my dad would order a truck of lumber, and for some reason, he would dump the, the lumber way across the yard from where we're working. And so that meant that us boys had to go and pick up the lumber and, or shovel the gravel, whatever it was, hard, hard labor. And I remember I was working with my uncles and even an older brother, and it seemed like they were so much stronger than me. And when I was starting in construction, I was a pretty small guy, right? I wasn't that strong. I didn't have that uh, old man muscle, as my boys would say, that sinewy, seasoned muscle. And so when it came to packing lumber, my uncles could pack two or three times more lumber than I could pack. And that bothered me. But as I grew and and started to grow and and gain more muscle, it began to develop that I could pack more and more lumber, right? And the reward with that was that the job would get done faster the more that I could pack. And so what we're learning here is that faithful hearers labor earnestly, earnestly because they understand that God works greater things when we commit to greater sacrifice. He blesses the work of our hands. And and it's not so much about here, right? The reward is in heaven. In many cases, we never see the spiritual reward of what God is doing through us. Sometimes we don't get that privilege. But what he's showing us here is that in that, he equips us the more that we commit to him. And he greatly rewards his faithful And so we naturally need to ask ourselves, is my measure of seed, so we're talking about the context of the seed is still the context, is the measure of seed that I am using or that I'm claiming to use proportional to the faith that I proclaim? Is there more room in my life for more sacrifice for the kingdom of God? Will God sufficiently equip me to do more for him? Or is my measure empty? Have I left my measure of seed behind? Have I hidden my lamp? Jesus says for those, from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Friends, we're not called to be gospel spectators. We're not merely watchers. We're called to be workers for him. The warning here is meant for us for self-examination. Am I a faithful hearer? If I am a faithful hearer, then I respond in action. Friends, faith is always followed by works. It's always followed by works. Not that we're trying to earn anything here. Our reward is in heaven. We can't earn any of God's 
grace. But if we are truly hearing the word of God, he produces a gospel goer in you rather than a pew potato. So what does that look like in my life right now? How should that look in my life? Is, is my Christian walk better defined as a Christian slouch? Is, is my measure too small? We need to be asking ourselves, what is God calling me, you, specifically to be doing for his kingdom? Is, is my idea of my sacrifice and my going too small? What does that look like in my life? Maybe, maybe God's calling you to step up to something in the church. Maybe he's calling you to start opening your home to your neighbors. Maybe he's calling you right now to start discipling someone. Maybe he's calling you to begin a ministry. Maybe he's calling you to be further equipped for ministry. Perhaps, perhaps you're our next ministry, or you're our next missionary. Maybe you are our next church planter. What's he calling you, specifically you, to be doing in your life for him? He is calling. And he is faithful to equip you for the task at hand, and he will reward you accordingly in heaven. And so we're called not to be just gospel spectators. Faithful hearers labor earnestly. Jesus is looking for an army, not an audience. Just think about those statistics. Only 1% of the church in Western culture is growing by conversion. And we're talking about sowing seed. That's our mission. And yet only 1% of our church is growing by conversion. He's looking for an army, not an audience. And as you commit to receive more commitment, Jesus also shows us that we're not next here in point three. We're not to be gospel manipulators. A faithful hearer depends fully. Verse 26, he said the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. Again, building off this parable of the soils. Verse 27, he sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. Faithful hearers and sowers depend fully on God for the harvest. We listen to this parable and we see that Jesus is comparing the kingdom of God, which is his rule and reign, right? The kingdom of God is his rule and reign. He is king and he is a message that needs to be heralded as a king's message is heralded. His rule and reign is the gospel. And he's comparing his kingdom to that of a man sowing. He's scattering the seed. And then he says something really, really helpful, really insightful, really helpful for me. After the man scatters the seed, what does he do? What does he do? He sleeps. He sleeps. His job is done. He goes about 
his business. It says he sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces it by itself. You remember when you were a kid and you did that experiment in elementary school? You got the little styrofoam cup, you filled it with dirt, and you put a a bean or a seed in there, right? And then as kids, you would have put it on the shelf of your window in your classroom, or if you were homeschooled in your window at home, you'd put it up there and then you would have to wait. And I remember being impatient, wondering, where is this plant that's supposed to be growing? Is there anything going on here? And then one day, you see a sprout, and you see that it is growing. It's turning slowly into a plant. This also reminds me of the miracle of of human life, how humanity reproduces. Yes, there is an initial act. It's a sowing of seed. But the unseen beauty and the miracle of what cannot be seen, is that God is causing life to begin. Even when we can't see it, until one day there's a baby bump, and we have some baby bumps here, right? And mom's starting to get more and more hungry. And then nine months, we see this child. Beautiful child. The fruit is born. Yes, there was an initial act. There was the sowing of seed. But until the baby is born, mom and dad are going about life. They're sleeping. They're, they're rising. They're not actively involved. They're not, they're not in their multiplying cells, right? They're not trying to get that heart beating. They're not trying to figure out the fingerprints this child is going to have. It is not their job. God is doing that. He is the one who creates. And as we think about the plant and the sowing of the seed, he is the one that, that, had, that produced the atmosphere. He waters the plants. He provides the soil with its nutrients. He provides the sun to cause photosynthesis. It's all him. It's his job. And the same thing goes with the growing of the seed. We are responsible to cast it. That's a privilege that he has given us right? Just think about it that way. God has given you the privilege to fill your hand full of the seed of the gospel and to share it. But he is responsible to grow it. 1 Corinthians 3, 7, so neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Psalm 127, 1 to 2, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go, to, go late to rest, eating the bread of the anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Rest. Sow the seed, trust him. Sow the seed and trust him. We don't interfere with natural things. Why do we try to interfere with spiritual things? Verse 28, it says, The earth produces it by itself. The sower is not interfering. And then we see that this blade is coming up, and then an ear, and then the full grain within the ear. Faithful, true hearers of the gospel. True disciples are made and they are grown by God. He is the one who regenerates. 
He is the one who breathes new life. He is the one who causes us to be born again to a living hope. Ezekiel 36, 26 to 27, God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. That is God's territory. That is God's territory. The miraculous can only be performed by the miracle worker. This is God's initiative. And so what we're called to do is to plant the seed, but we don't mess with the process. We don't mess with the process. There's too many today who are manipulating the gospel. They are interfering with the work that is God's alone. There are too many today that are lowering the gospel, teaching that the gospel is just a prayer that you say. They water down the truth. They move away from biblical understanding. They try in all of, their, all of their vanity to try to make Jesus easier to digest. Instead of repentance, they sell prosperity. Instead of studying scripture like the Bereans, they sell experience. They sell feelings. Instead of faithfulness to the basics of prayer and preaching, they run to pragmatism and they run to strategies, manipulating the gospel. John MacArthur says, human ingenuity, emotional manipulation, man-centered techniques, and market-driven strategies cannot create new life in the heart of the sinner. Regeneration is only by the Spirit of God. Titus 3.5, God he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit's work. Ephesians 2, 4-5, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he had loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Friends, the truth is that God is sovereign over salvation. He alone brings life in this parable, and he counsels us in that not to be gospel manipulators. Don't make the gospel easier, and don't make it harder. Your job as a, as a faithful hearer is to sow the seed and trust that the Lord will do with it as he wills. It may land on the pathway. It may land on the rocky ground. It may land amongst the thorns. Or it may land on the rich soil, the rich prepared soil by God. And so we cast it and we rest like the sower here who sleeps. And then we get up and then we cast it again. And we sleep and we cast it again far and wide. That is our job. And then let God produce the life that he wants to produce. And then verse 29, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle. He's going to cut and harvest, right? Because the harvest has come. God has a harvest.
So a faithful here depends fully here that God will bring the harvest. You feel that tension sometimes to want to manipulate? You're the one that wants to produce new life. You're the one that wants to save the soul. You sometimes think that God is too slow. He's too slow to act. That you want to get into that heart. You want to get in there and transform that heart. Asking God, why not now? Why so long? I feel it. I'm tempted to do the same thing. But faithful hearers know that this is God's territory. And so we keep spreading that seed. And it may mean that you were overseeding, and that's okay. Never be afraid to overseed. It may take a long time for that soil to produce the harvest that God wants to produce. But he knows exactly what he is doing. No matter what the outcome as well, he is good. He is good always, and he is right. And so we need to trust him to do that work that only he can do. We need to trust him for that with our parents. Trust him for that with our children, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our clients, with anybody that we associate with. We need to trust him fully. And so we need to shine urgently. We need to labor earnestly. We need to depend fully. And lastly, we need to believe expectantly. Believe expectantly. Friends, don't be gospel doubters. A faithful hearer believes expectantly. Verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare again the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Very simply, what we see here, building off the sowing of the seed again, what we see here is that our gospel work may seem small. It may seem small right now. But God has a plan for an abundant harvest. An abundant harvest that we can't even comprehend. And Jesus is saying that this, this mustard seed here, and, and he says that it's the smallest seed on the earth. Okay, Now we know that there are other seeds from, from certain flowers that are, that are smaller than a mustard seed, but, but in his context and in this common saying at the time, for them, the smallest seed they knew of was the mustard seed. He's using a well-known analogy, especially when you consider how small a mustard seed is to how large the plant is in the garden. Jesus said the mustard seed grows into a plant that is larger than all the plants in a garden. It, it seems not to make sense, right, that a, the smallest seed produces the largest plant, that it puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Friends, what we need to learn from this is the gospel is unstoppable. It is relentless. And there is plans that God has to produce an abundant, exceedingly abundant harvest, and we need to believe it. Just think of this little clan of, of these 12 disciples around Jesus hearing this. 
And then think of what they have done. How insignificant and ordinary they were. And now look at the world around you. These 12 disciples, those who were the ones who heard and followed, they turned the world upside down. A small seed. They heard it and they followed. Remember this, when, when Jesus, just before he left and ascended to be with the Father in Acts 1.8, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's speaking to his disciples. And to this day, the harvest of millions and millions of Christians exist. And the beauty for us to understand is that it's still going. The tree is still being built. The kingdom is still advancing. Jesus is building his church. And it cannot be stopped. And now it's tempting for us here to think that our work is small. What is God doing with this church? What is he doing with this small work for his kingdom? And if you keep your faith small, sometimes you lose hope. And we can tend to doubt the power of the gospel. We may think that we have, we're having no lasting effect as a church. How many people are being saved by this church? We can't be gospel doubters. Because the gospel is unstoppable. We need to unleash it. We need to pull off the bowl, take that lamp. We need to scatter that seed. That is our job. And we trust that Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That is his promise to us. And so we need to ask ourselves, are we faithful hearers this morning? Faithful hearers proven by faithful feet are we doubting him? Are we, are we trusting his gospel, his good news, the power of the word of the spirit to transform the world? Because he is planting a harvest. He is planting a harvest that is going to blow our minds. We're going to be standing with him in heaven one day and seeing the millions of people who he has saved. And we want to be a small part of that. We want to see him do great things because that's what he does. Verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear. That's why this question that keeps going around is, do you hear it? Are you hearing it? Let him who has ears hear. He did not speak to them without a parable, again, talking to the whole crowd, but privately to his own disciples, he explained Everything. You know, friends, we've got the Word of God. This is the fully explained truth. We are His disciples, and privately, He has explained everything to us. It is no longer concealed to us, it has been revealed, and it is amazing. And so we ask ourselves are we hearing this morning? Are you His own disciple that is hearing the explanations of the Word? And then are you committing to act? 
Are you committing to trust? What is the Lord specifically calling each one of you to be doing for his kingdom tomorrow, this week, next month, throughout the rest of your life? Don't be a gospel hoarder. Don't be a gospel spectator. Don't be a gospel manipulator. Don't be a gospel doubter. Instead, as you are motivated by God's grace, as you are informed by his word, as you are filled and empowered by his spirit, shine urgently. Labor earnestly. Depend fully and believe expectantly. The Lord has great things to be done. And we get the privilege to be a part of his plan. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the reminder that we need to hear. We need to hear this so often. Because, you, Lord, we, we are so distracted at times. We are so distracted by the things of this world. Uh, thinking about the seed, we're even, we have thorns around us. We have temptation at times. But, Lord, we pray, pray for soft soil. Would you till the soil of our heart this morning? Would you convict us deeply of the calling you have on each and every person in this church, in me. Lord, we pray that we would be a seed-sowing church. That we would be casting the seed far and wide and trusting you with the rest. Lord, help us not to doubt. Help us not to manipulate. Help us to believe expectantly in what you have. You're an amazing God with an amazing gospel that is powerful, that it, and it was relentless, and that it knows no bounds, and that your work is yet to be completed. The days are dark. Our message is urgent. Use us. Use us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.